0: The title of my message today, it might be a bit of a misnomer, but I think you'll get the idea. When God is against you. And sometimes when we study the Bible, I like to go through kind of like you're flying over with a big spaceship or in a jet airplane, just flying over a huge part of the Bible and kind of get the big overview. And that's, that's all right. I like, to, I like to get the big overview sometimes. Sometimes I like to go through where we're plowing through like a tractor. Just kind of go verse by verse by verse and go through a passage and, and just kind of see what can we what can we dig out of this, dig below the surface a little bit. And then there's times when I like to study the Bible, and it's like like you're getting out a microscope, like you're taking one little speck, one little word, and just going down as deep as you can into that one word and try to get it out. Well today we're gonna to kinda of pick a, a spot kind of in between there, kind of not really plowing through with a tractor. But not quite a microscope. Maybe we'll say it's hand digging, you know, like with a trowel or just digging it up or with a spade. Now, many of you probably recall, um, for over the last several months, and not, not every time I've preached, but I've, I've talked about the call of Moses. Remember we talked about pictures of God and how Moses encountered God there, the burning bush. Remember that? And how he saw a picture of God there in the burning bush, a God great and mighty, and yet a God who is willing to stoop down and speak with a human being through this burning bush. Then we also talked about in the the last sermon in this series about the call of Moses, and I titled that message, No Excuses. Moses, when he heard the call of God, started making excuses. God, I can't do it. God, I don't know how to talk. But God ever answered every one of his objections. And Moses was on his way to Egypt. And that's where we pick up the story today in Exodus chapter 4. And I'd like you to turn there with me. It's a story we don't talk about much. Because quite honestly, for a long time, and I will know for myself, I've wondered why in the world this story is even in the Bible. And it's only three verses long. And it's just as easy to kind of skip over the story because it doesn't hardly seem to fit in the narrative of this great hero, this man, Moses, who God has called, and he's on his way to Egypt to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We pick up the story in verse 24. And it came to pass, on the way at the encampment, that the Lord, and that's all capital letters, that is Yahweh, the God of heaven, that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Did I read that right? Are we talking about Moses or are we talking about Pharaoh? Well, we're talking about Moses, all right. It came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Why did God meet Moses like this? I mean, he'd, already, he'd just got done talking to Moses at the burning bush, and at the end it sounded like they'd had a great conversation. I mean, Moses, yeah... Yeah, there was there was some friction, there was a I mean quite a turn of events there. But I mean Moses was going, he was obeying God, and he was in the way of obedience. Or was he? Or was there something that he had neglected to do? Something that he had forgotten to do. You see, there was a right, and I won't get go into the details, but there was a right. That God gave to Abraham. That the time that God gave the covenant to Abraham, that of your seed, of your children, I will make a great nation. We find that in Genesis 17. So if you want to hold your finger there in Exodus 4 and turn back to Genesis 17, we'll find that there. Genesis 17 and verse 10. The Lord is speaking to Abraham, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Every male child shall be circumcised. And in verse 14, he who is not circumcised, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You see, this circumcision was a symbol of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Abraham wasn't just such a strong and mighty man that he was able to have a great nation come from his descendants no it was because of the promise of god and only because of the promise of god that he was even able to have a son at the age of 100 years old and because of that promise and because abraham believed that promise as a sign of his belief he circumcised his son and everyone in his household and all of his descendants were commanded by god circumcise your sons because this is a sign that you are my special people. Moses very well knew of this command of God. God did not tell Moses at the burning bush, go and circumcise your son. You know, when God tells us something, and we know it, God has no reason to tell us a second time. You know, sometimes I wonder in our lives, if we run up against a brick wall, we get down on our knees and pray, God, show me Your will. Show me your direction in life. I'm talking to myself, okay? And deep down in my heart, I know there's something that God has already asked me to do, and I just didn't want to do it. I don't know why Moses didn't want to circumcise his son. I can imagine from the way this story plays out that his wife may have had something to do with it. Oh, what a bloody husband you are, she says at the end of this this passage. But for whatever reason, Moses had failed to do something. And God, when he commanded Moses, he says, Moses was out in the wilderness, right? He says, go and leave my people out of Israel. He didn't say anything about go and circumcise your son because Moses already knew that he was supposed to do that. And God gave Moses the time to go back home, back to Midian where his wife and his children were, take the sheep back to his father-in-law, He gathers up his family. But he doesn't do the duty that he knows that he is supposed to do. God didn't specifically tell him he had to because God knew, you know that already, Moses. You know that's what you're supposed to do. And he starts making his way down the path to Egypt. And I could imagine God is looking down from heaven and saying, Oh no, Moses. When you get to Egypt... You're going to need my help. You're going to need my help big time because you can't do this on your own. And I can't intervene in your life the way I need to while you are not obeying me. So God comes to Moses and he withstands Moses and he acts as though he's going to kill him. Have you ever felt like God was against you? Have you ever felt like no matter what you did, you ran up against a brick wall? I don't mean before you came to Christ. I mean after you've come to Christ and you're in the church and you're following Christ. You're going out to carry out God's work. And it seems as though the entire universe turns against you. As if God is opposing you. I know I've felt that way before. You know, sometimes it can be that the devil is just attacking us in our lives. If you turn to John chapter 16 and verse 33, I don't always have you look up the verses, but I, I, like it's good for us to look up some verses once in a while. John 16 and verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world you will have tribulation, so a certain amount of trouble you are going to have just because you're a disciple of Christ. That doesn't mean that God is against you. And in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you set your mind to follow God, you will, guaranteed, you will suffer persecution. But I'm not talking now about just suffering persecution because all of us, every one of us who claims to be a disciple of Christ will invariably suffer persecution. But I'm talking about when it seems as though God himself is against you. When it seems as though your prayers don't go past the ceiling. When it seems as though everything goes unanswered. Or if it is answered, it's answered with a thud. And sometimes we have to take a look at our own lives. Say, God, is there something that you've already asked me to do? I don't even have to ask God sometimes. Sometimes he's already telling me, and I'm just putting it out of my mind. Something you've already asked me to do, and I'm just not doing it. Joshua chapter 7. We read another story. We're going to get back to Exodus. Joshua chapter 7. And we won't go through the whole story, but I believe most of you know this story. You know the story about the children of Israel fought the battle of Jericho. You know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. The children sing the song, you march around Jericho, right? Right. So, So they had had this great victory against Jericho when the walls of Jericho fell down. And the children of Israel took all of the, everything that was in the city, that was what they were instructed to do, they took everything that was in the city and burned it. They weren't to take anything, nothing at all. That was the command. And they mostly obeyed the command. And then they, they said, well, let's go on. They're excited now. Let's go on to the next town, this little town of Ai, and let's take it. And so they went up to the town, and they were defeated, and 36 men were killed. And they came back, and Joshua is on his knees, crying out to God, God, why did you let this happen to us? We had such a great victory in Jericho, and now we're defeated in this little town of Ai. It took the wind out of their sails. Joshua chapter 7. I'll start in verse 10. So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you any anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. I said they were supposed to destroy everything that they took from Jericho. And they mostly obeyed, except for one man. His name was Achan. You don't find very many children today named Achan. Achan saw a beautiful garment. He saw some gold there among the spoils of Jericho. He took it. He hid it in his tent. And because of that one man, because of he had sinned, he had gone against what God had told them to do specifically, the entire nation suffered defeat at the hands of their enemies. God could no longer bless the children of Israel while they were not wholeheartedly obeying him. And I think, quite honestly, that that's the answer to why God was so stern with Moses here in Exodus. You see, Moses was walking into a battlefield. This was no longer going to be life as usual. Herding sheep was quite easy compared to leading a million stubborn Israelites compared to going up against the greatest emperor of the world, the Pharaoh, and saying, God has said, let my people go. You see, this was not a physical battle. This was not a battle between arms. This was a spiritual battle between the forces of Satan and the almighty power of God. And God was about to make a demonstration of Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. A demonstration to all of the people of Israel and the people of Egypt of who is the true God. And Moses, as the representative of God and as the leader of God's people, could not have something in his life that wasn't taken care of. So Moses is standing here in a death grip, as it were with the Almighty God. And his wife is not oblivious to what's going on. She sees what's going on. She does the operation. She takes matters into her own hands, but not without a protest. Like I said before, surely you are a husband of blood to me. You know, I I find it so ironic how here, obviously, God himself is about to kill her husband, and she's blaming her husband for it. I don't quite, I don't quite get the logic there. Surely if she saw what was going on, which she obviously did, she should have known not to blame Moses for this. But how often do we blame our leaders? How often do we blame our spouse? Talking to myself here. Why do you, why do you, you're always, yeah. Let's look to God. If it's God that's telling us to do something, I talk to myself too, oh, it's so easy to blame someone else for it. I wonder too, what about us? Has God given us a work to do? God says to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and He even gives us a promise: "Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world." God give Moses the same promise: "I will go with you." Go down to Pharaoh; I will go with you. But ask this question: Can we claim God's promises from His Word if we fail to comply with the conditions that He has laid out for those promises? Can we claim God's blessing in our lives? if we refuse to obey his revealed will. Yes, I see in this story a very solemn warning for you and for me today. But I also see a picture, another picture of God, a picture of his mercy and his grace. Because if God was not merciful, he could have let Moses go on down to Egypt and be killed in the battle with Pharaoh. But instead, like a loving parent, grabs their child's shoulder with a death grip if need be to keep them from running into the street in front of a speeding car. Moses, Moses, stop. Don't go any further Till you make that right. Was God really going to kill Moses? Well, I suppose he would have if Moses had continued to rebel, but he knew that Moses wasn't. He knew that that's what it would take is a, a firm discipline. This book here, It's called Patriarchs and Prophets by Ellen G. White. Um, I actually got this book, I was looking at the date, 1995. That's 23 years ago. didn't seem like that long ago. I've got my name signed in the front and the address where I lived in Washington State at the time. But uh, I was reading this, this passage in preparation for this message. This story and the story of the call of Moses. And I wanted to read it here for you. Moses had failed to comply with the condition by which his child could be entitled to the blessing of God's covenant with Israel, and such a neglect on the part of their chosen leader could not but lessen the force of the divine precepts upon the people. Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, fearing that her husband would be slain, performed the rite herself, and the angel then permitted Moses to pursue his journey. In his mission to Pharaoh, Moses was to be placed in a position of great peril. His life could only be preserved through the protection of holy angels. But while living in neglect of a known duty, he would not be secure, for he could not be shielded by the angels of God. You see, God's angels, the guardian angels that are sent to protect us, are limited in what they can do. We are limited by our own choices to not follow God entirely. She goes on to make this comment. In the time of trouble, just before the coming of Christ, the righteous will be preserved through the ministration of heavenly angels, but there will be no security for the transgressor of God's law. Angels cannot protect those who are disregarding one of the divine precepts. Do you know that you can tie the hands of your guardian angel? That's not to say that God won't protect you. But it is to say that sometimes we can place ourselves outside of his protection. And yes, my friends, a time is coming. And it's coming on this world very soon. When the only way we will be able to survive will be by the miraculous protection. Of God. We have it easy, friends. We don't know how good we have it until all the forces of this world and all the forces of Satan are allied against the one small group of people who stand for keeping all of God's Ten Commandments. And at that time, were it not for the protection of God's angels we will be annihilated in an instant. How will we stand in that day? Have we confessed our sins? Or do we go on living? I'm good enough. I go to church. I pay tithe, I even do some mission work. I even hold an office in the church. Is that good enough to hear God's call? To be on a mission for him if our lives are not entirely right with him. you know I have a good friend you all actually probably know him I won't tell you his name but he's suffering been suffering from some health problems and he went to a doctor like we do Doctor sent him to a specialist the specialist told him well in order for us to know what is actually going on we're actually going to have to do an MRI. Now, for one, my friend is claustrophobic, <laughs> and he's heard some things, like I have and probably many of you have, about MRI machines, and just the, just the idea of going down inside this humongous machine can be a little bit unnerving. I know it would be for me. I've never had an MRI, but uh, I understand, and I've, I've heard some, some people tell some stories, that, uh, that the machines themselves, the procedure itself, is very, very safe, except that those machines can be very violent against anything, any kind of metal that is magnetic. And in fact, I saw a video once. In this video, they had a metal office chair, like a big old-fashioned office chair, and somehow it had been in the same room with the MRI machine, and the machine got switched on, and that office chair was being sucked inside of the MRI machine, and there were two or three men trying to pull the chair out of the machine while the machine was turned on, anyway several strong men could not pull that chair off of this this uh machine i have another friend who was a a um veteran he was wounded in combat and uh he's able to live an, a normal life but even to this day he has uh, a quite a bit of shrapnel still in his body he was told by the doctors that he would never be able to have an MRI, because if he would ever to be put inside an MRI machine, and they turn that machine on, that shrapnel would just be ripped out of his body, or would otherwise be very injurious to him. So thankfully, I guess he's not really needed an MRI. They'd find other ways, maybe an x-ray or something if he needs it. That's just to say, it can be kind of scary, you know, going to get an MRI. Not to, not to scare you, it's 99% of people don't have shrapnel or bullets or things like that in their bodies and you're perfectly fine to go into the MRI machine and it won't hurt you. It's a, like I say, it's a very safe procedure other than, you know, if you have claustrophobia, you might have to kind of get over that a little bit. Uh, and my friend, he went to the MRI and it didn't have any problems with the, with the procedure. But I did get to thinking. I was thinking about this this idea, how come the one friend who was injured in combat, who had this, this shrapnel in his body, was, he, it would be deadly for him to go into this MRI machine, but someone else can go through it just fine. And you know, I got to thinking about this story that we were reading about. Don't take the parallel too far. I think you're getting the idea. I'm not saying it's bad to have been injured. I mean it's it's a great thing that he was he was fighting for our country. He was injured fighting for our country. But but the idea that I'm I'm pointing out here is this. If there is something in our lives. A three-letter word with an i in the middle. Starts with s and ends with the letter n. Sin. If there is sin in our lives. On a normal day-to-day times, we may be able to go along for a very long time without anyone noticing. We may be able to look just like everybody else, go to church just like everybody else. But when it comes to the combat, when it comes to the test, when we go into that MRI machine and the machine gets switched on, will we come out unscathed or not? And that is the question that I want to leave you all with today. You know, we sing the song, Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. And it's true. I love the song. It's one of my favorite songs. We can walk into the battlefield without fear. As long as we go with Jesus. As long as we allow him to be the Lord of our lives. And the Lord of all of our lives. It's not something that we need to fear and dread. And, and I'm not trying to say this, and you've heard me preach before, I don't believe in a pick-yourself-by-your-own-bootstraps kind of religion. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that we need to go home and be scared. I, there's, what if there's something that I'm doing that's wrong and I don't know about it? If, if there's something that you're doing that's wrong, God's going to tell you about it. The question is, are you going to surrender it to him or no? What about you? Is there something that you haven't surrendered? Is there something in your home that you need to address? Is there something that you need to get rid of? God met Moses on the road with a sword, ready to kill him. Moses made it right. There was another man that God met on the road, and the man didn't see him, but his donkey did. You know that story? And that donkey crushed a man's foot against the wall. He went off into a field and finally he stopped dead and fell down in the road. And when Balaam started beating his donkey, his donkey opened his mouth and spoke. Don't be like Balaam and wait until a donkey starts talking to you to get your life right with God. Ask you again, does it feel like in your life you've run into a brick wall? Thank God for his mercy. Does it seem like God is against you? Then thank him, because he's not against you. He's just holding on to you like a heavenly father to keep you from getting hurt. If you could see the end from the beginning, if you could be transported out of your present situation and go all the way to the end of your life, to the time when we meet together with Jesus in heaven, if you could look back, at the time you're at right now, you know what you would say? You would say, Thank you, Jesus, for stopping me in my tracks, because it's just what I needed to wake up and follow you. In Isaiah chapter 53, speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ who would come, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10, we read, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Yes, my friends, God is against sin. And the justice and the love of God will crush sin. And yet because of Jesus Christ, he took my sin And Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is sinless, was crushed for me so that I didn't have to be. Yes, the power of sin is great. But we have, thank God, an even greater Savior. Won't you let him be your Savior today and your Lord? will you let him suffer the penalty for your sin so you won't have to? Friends, God isn't out to get you. He's out to save you. And to save you a 100%. It might be painful now. It might be painful to let him take that sin out of our lives. But one day soon we're going to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. And if we are faithful, we will look up into those clouds and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. Loving Father in Heaven, Lord, we've seen the example in the Scriptures. Lord, you're not against us. But as a loving parent, so often you have to stop us in our tracks. Help us, Lord, to surrender not just part of our lives to you, but every part of our lives. That we may be ready to go home with you when you come in the clouds of heaven. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name.